Politics are so complex, so convoluted, you can't tell the players without a scorecard. Here's the question of the age. Is it more worrisome that Joe Biden has caches of confidential documents locked up in his garage or that he has access to the keys to a Corvette? These and other questions answered by your doctor of truth, Dan Newman. I kind of like the idea of the Corvette in the garage. I mean, every father has got to have an old Corvette to impress all his son's girlfriends. (laughs) And of course, maybe, just maybe, that father kind of likes some girls, young girls too. Well, that's a story for another day. We're not going to go into that. I know that'll make you feel better. Also, we have a monstrous pile of very important things that we need to get into, really, Have you heard about this budget deal that Congressman Mike Johnson has tentatively worked out with Chuck Schumer, the majority leader in the Senate? Very conservative members of the House of Representatives, his fellow Republicans, are really upset with Congressman Mike Johnson. We've got some of the details, but for obvious reasons, they're kind of holding back all of the details, giving us the the nuggets that look kind of good at first. We have that. We have an impeachment on the way for Alejandro Mayorkas. And then, of course, there's Donald Trump and the election going on or getting ready to go on. We're talking about we're actually having big meetings, interviews, town halls for the presidential election that's coming up in a couple of days. Well, no, it's not coming up in a couple of days. In fact, it's not coming up in a couple of months. It's coming up in November. We're a long way from November, and we are going to be covered with the election stuff between now and then. And I've got some other things about the election I want to chat with you about it, and it has to do with text and emails Much, much more. We've got Mike Johnson for you. We have some folks from the House of Representatives that are really, really upset and into a lot of the things that are happening in the House and happening in the Biden administration. So it's going to be a busy day. You don't want to miss a minute. And uh, while we're waiting for the good stuff to start, why don't we um, just relax a little bit with Chicago? Yeah, this is good.
remember. I'm not so old that I don't remember, but I do remember when we used to take the kids to go to the park on Saturday and we would stay out there for hours flying kites and playing on the uh, playground equipment. It's not safe anywhere now. That's gone. We very seldom see any of that. In fact, with our new age of electronics, kids don't even want to go outside. (laughs) Or if they go outside, they've got the iPhone or their other PDA that they can play games on. Physical activity? Eh, not so much. Well, of course, when you get to be 70, you don't do a lot of physical stuff either, at least exercise that thing. So there was a lot of missing links in life that we hadn't quite got put together. That's just part of life, isn't it? Hey, listen, your government's doing a bunch of stuff, staying really, really busy. Everybody except the most important military guy in your government, that would be uh, the defense secretary. And this thing with Lloyd Austin, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. We've got some uh, information and opinion to pour into that. But I guess on the hot seat today, besides Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, is Alejandro Mayorkas. He's the Homeland Security Secretary. Impeachment about to kick off against this guy. Yesterday, in uh, closed-door House committee meetings, he uh, he really hacked off a lot of people, things that came out of that uh, so-called closed-door meeting. Comments made by Alejandro about an impending impeachment really, really visibly rattled Fox News host Harris Faulkner. U.S. Representative Kat Kamek from Florida, she's an anti-Mayorkas member of Congress. She was talking to Falker on Monday when she described alleged eyebrow-raising remarks that Mayorkas made during a closed-door meeting with members of Congress. House Republicans are moving ahead to impeach Mayorkas for his... I can't think of a better term, abject failure in handling the crisis at the southern border, which Mike Johnson called a humanitarian catastrophe. Kamek said, we've been asking Secretary Mayorkas since he took office to enforce the law, to do his job, and he's done exactly the opposite. He's testified untruthfully before Congress repeatedly. He stood in front of the committee's on multiple occasions, insisted that the border is closed and secure when everybody in America knows it's not true. So during the Faulkner focus, Congresswoman Kamek sarcastically called Mayorkas a real peach. A real peach. He's lied repeatedly to Congress, has been negligent in his duties. Asked by Faulkner if uh, Representative Kamek thinks it's possible to remove Mayorkas. Kamek said, absolutely, I have yet to meet one Republican. Heck, I even know some Democrats that are anxious to get rid of him. She then revealed a disturbing comment that Mayorkas reportedly said behind those closed doors when members of Congress reminded him he was going to be impeached. Kamek told Faulkner, this is about Alejandro Mayorkas and what he did and said. This is a quote from her. He said, you are not going to like who comes next. I asked him if that was a threat. She said he just smiled. So this shocked Harris Faulkner. 
This man is dangerous, she said. He knows exactly what he's doing, and he's two-faced. We need to get rid of him, I hope now. What did he mean who comes next? Well, that was a big question, the congresswoman said. I asked him. I said, is that a threat? And he just smiled. And I thought, this man knows exactly what he's doing. This is 100% by design. They want an open border crisis. Mayorkas is taken to defending his record and refuting claims by Republicans that he's failed to secure the border and generally doing his job leading the Department of Homeland Security. He insists all the time that the majority of all migrants encountered at the southwest border throughout this administration have been removed, returned, or expelled. That, my friends, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to understand, is a categorical lie. Most, most, he said, the majority of all migrants encountered at the southern border have been removed, returned, or expelled. That is horse hockey. Then he claimed that the issue of immigration is an issue that is highly politicized. Well, I guess that's truthful because he is doing this purposefully, not enforcing the rule of law, anything in immigration law at the federal level, none at all. It's going to be politicized. We have people that are dying at the hands of these illegals that you're just waving on in. Homeland Security Committee Chairman Mark Green from Tennessee, I really like him. He said it's Mayorkas' decision-making and refusal to enforce these laws that has led to the border crisis and that his failure to fulfill his oath of office, it demands accountability. So Green is promoting the hearing coming up today ahead of the impeachment process, and it's titled Havoc in the Heartland, How Secretary Mayorkas' Failed Leadership Has Impacted the States. For about three years, the American people have watched and been demanding an end to the unprecedented crisis at the southwest border. They have also rightly called for Congress to hold accountable all those responsible. Now, I want to turn the calendar back a few years. How long ago was it? Do you remember when all those illegals, all those immigrants, whatever you want to call them, they were leaving North Africa, the countries across the top of the northern part of Africa, getting in boats and rafts and headed up across the Mediterranean. They would first show up in these um, Mediterranean countries on the water, on the Med, Italy, uh, Greece, um, Spain. They would show up there. Some of these countries wouldn't accept them. But there were some that didn't kick them back into the boat and would just get them away from their country and move them on up. The one country back then, this is, I think, six, seven years ago, and there were hundreds of thousands of these illegals coming up there looking for a better life. Same thing, they're all saying why they're coming to across our southern border. And the country that opened up the most was Germany. And it, remember, when you talk about the United States, you're talking about a collection of a very large number of states, 50 of them, and that means lots of geography, lots of space, 
where a lot of people can go and just spread out and it doesn't look like and it doesn't appear to be that big a deal. Germany is one country. When you look at your map of the United States, Germany would, and I don't know exactly, but it would look kind of like in size um, the state of Arizona. They had over a quarter million of these illegals that ended up in Germany. None of these illegals spoke German, and they were all from Muslim countries, and 95% of them were men. Same kind of thing we're seeing down at our southern border. Young men, 20 to 30-year-old. And so when they get to Germany, they go to the big cities. And so what happens there? German people, very white, very um, liberal politically, very European for obvious reasons. And for about a year, the people of Germany were petrified 24-7, and especially when the sun went down. Why? Because all of these illegals, those young men, what are they going to do when the sun goes down? They want to go party. They want to find some girls. And boy, did they. There were reported rapes, horrible stories from German young women At first, it was they were going out doing what they do in the evening, and they were being accosted by these German young guys, and one thing turns into another, and then there started being nasty sex acts, and then there started to be rapes, murder, horrible situations. And the point of my bringing that up is in comparison to what we're seeing down south. You know, there's a lot of the same stuff that's happening across the U.S. We're not hearing about a lot of it. When it happens, we hear about it later. And the German government finally said, we've had enough. And they forced them out. We've had enough. When it came to light over here that we had so much criminality that was happening among the hundreds of thousands and now probably 12 to 15 million is the current number that we're being told is an accurate number of this last few years of open border policies. Think about that. Ours is spread across 50 states. Pretty big area there. Germany wasn't. But it doesn't matter how big the country is and how many illegals Alejandro Mayorkas can stick into different states. That's not the point. The point is every one of them are criminals for being here, as is Alejandro Mayorkas and, by proxy, President Joe Biden. Now, we're going to have this impeachment inquiry. It's going to open up probably tomorrow against Alejandro Mayorkas. Guess what happened yesterday in the Senate, the U.S. Senate? um, It's not a formal motion. It was kind of like, we want to make a statement, and it was a statement that was passed around, a no-confidence statement, and it went to the floor of the Senate, and there was a vote on it. And it was about Alejandro Mayorkas. 
no confidence for him doing his job. And that was specifically what this thing was about, not doing his job, violating his oath of office, which he does when he pushes any illegal across the southern border. That's a fact. And, of course, there's a very margin, slim margin, of control in the Senate by Democrats. They soundly defeated that no confidence. What kind of world are we living in? And what in the heck are our leaders thinking? Now, I understand we talk about this all the time. Everybody's narrowed it down that's got a brain. The only purpose Democrats could be pushing all of this for is to get these people into the United States, get them committed, get them where they are looking to the federal government for all their support and opportunities. When I say support, I'm talking about money, welfare and other stuff, um, housing, education for their kids, food, utilities, transportation, all of that to get those people obligated to the Democrat Party because they're the saviors of all these illegals. They're the ones that opened up our borders and let them come in here so they could start a new life. And, of course, it's quid pro quo anytime in politics. If I do something for you, you've got to do something to pay me back. And what would Democrats want that to be? Democrats are hell-bent and awfully certain that they're going to get back in the majority, both in the House and the Senate, and then, on top of that, get the White House. And guess what they're going to do when they get that done, where they control the White House, the House, and the Senate? They're going to give these illegals either citizenship or just a new kind of right to vote. And, of course, the obligation is going to be hanging out there. Look at what we did for you. You've got to vote for us sole purpose for what they're up to is to establish a permanent ruling party in the United States of America. You remember yesterday our conversations about autocracy? Yeah, about an autocratic leader in this country, which is exactly how Joe Biden is running the White House now, autocratically. You know, he's supposed to enforce our laws. He's supposed to follow the laws, the people's house and the state's house. That's the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate combined. Whoever's in the White House is supposed to enforce that. Not only does that not get enforced by this administration, they do things under the cover of night and darkness that are violations of federal law in addition to this illegal immigration crap. And we don't hear about it till after the fact. Executive orders, dozens and dozens and dozens every month by Joe Biden. And so what happens if you've got the leadership pretty much owned in the Senate and the White House and the Republicans have a very, very slim majority in the House of Representatives. You control everything. You don't give a rip what Democrats think. You're, they're going to do their deal. You and I can't say anything about it because they're in charge. You can't hold them accountable. 
In fact, most of the executive orders that Joe has issued are unconstitutional. And he laughs about that. Oh, I know, it'll get challenged in court, but you know how our court system works. It'll take several years to get it canceled or terminated or ruled illegal, but we'll already have done what we intended to do. That, my friends, it's not just autocratic. It borders on totalitarianism. Not trying to scare anybody, (laughs) but facts are facts. And I'm pretty darn sure you're going to agree with that. So, in getting started, we have some really important things that I want you to hear from some important people. The one that is right now the 900-pound gorilla in the room is getting this money, this budget, this spending stuff put together to make sure we don't default on our government debt. Right in the bullseye of all of this is House Speaker Mike Johnson. And he's being excoriated on both sides. However, Chuck Schumer's saying nice things about him. And you know why? Because in negotiations, the Senate has control. It doesn't matter what this very slim margin in the House comes up with regarding any legislation. It's got to be put across the hall in the Senate. And the Senate has a pretty good-sized majority. And so Chuck Schumer and them, hey, We've got Mike Johnson by the short hairs. And Chucky even talks about Mike like, hey, Mike's my boy. You know Mike Johnson if you've been around here in this show. Until he became House Speaker, we had him on at least once a month, sometimes twice a month. He's a friend, personal friend, and he's a friend to this show too. And of course now as House Speaker, (laughs) communication with the public and what he does and the time that he has to do anything, it'd get really, really slim. We reach out several times by text, and he's going to be here with us. We're possibly going to bring him into the studio and do a sit-down one day. That'll be good because we'll be able, you and I, will be able to ask some questions. But in the meantime, he's a very um, transparent guy especially when you put him and how he functions in in Congress against most of the other members of the House of Representatives in the Senate. And so the really, really hard conservatives in the House of Representatives are really upset because they expected Mike Johnson to just go in there and start slashing and burning. You can't do that unless you have total control of the government. You have to negotiate. And when you make big changes, which we need to do, you're not going to be able to do it all at one time. There's no way when McCarthy was booted from the House Speaker position that whoever followed him was going to be able to just walk over to the Democrats and say, okay, we're not doing any of this stuff. Here's what we're going to do. And you better do it, and you better like it. It doesn't work that way. So here's Mike Johnson explaining what's going on and why and how and what we can expect. This fight over the $1.59 trillion government funding deal, House conservatives are unhappy. They say it's actually $1.66 trillion. It includes, you know, $69 billion in spending they don't like. What do you make of that? Hey, thanks, Liz. Great to be sure. with you. It's my first time as speaker to be on the show. 
Um, look, I am a House conservative. I, for my entire career, I've, I've voted for uh, spending cuts and much smaller budgets and all the rest. But of course, I inherited this situation. Uh, you know, last year uh, there was a negotiation among uh, all the parties, and they came up with a spending agreement. 1.59 trillion was the amount that was written into the the FRA, the the statutory law. We know that's the spending limit. Now there were some side deals negotiated on that uh, last summer. What I came into as speaker was that situation, and so we went into the room and we significantly cut those side deals. In fact, we converted that into about $16 billion in real savings to the American taxpayers. So it's a step in the right direction. We've cut out the gimmicks out of that budget. We cut out uh, the spending. And, and Liz, it actually amounts to the first reduction in non-defense spending in many years. So this is a step forward. It's not what we want. It's not everything we want. But remember, we have a one to two vote margin in just one chamber of the legislative branch. Wait, I mean, this is, uh, this is the best we can do right now. Senator, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer says they're getting everything they want in non-defense spending, uh, that it doesn't cut spending. And Congresswoman uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene says it does nothing to stop the border crisis, stop the invasion, stop the weaponized government targeting Biden's political enemies and innocent Americans. What do you make of those criticisms? Well, listen, Chuck Schumer is going to spin it as best he can, but this is not what they wanted to do. In fact, this amounts to a $30 billion cut to what the Senate had written, what they wanted to spend in the appropriations process. So this is significant. By the way, we clawed back unspent COVID funds. That's $6.1 billion part of this. $10 billion more from that IRS fund that they had set aside. So that's $20 billion out of that in total. This is significant savings for the people. Again, not everything we wanted. Now, Marjorie's not wrong. The border is on fire. You know, Liz, I took 64 members down on a trip down there last week. And what we saw was heartbreaking and infuriating. We are willing to die on that hill. The appropriations process is to keep the government funded to make sure our troops are paid, that, that the federal government operates. And in the middle of all that, we're having a serious fight about securing that border. And we are insistent upon that. We have been since the day I got the gavel, and none of that has changed. You know, the voter polls show the voters do not believe the Biden White House saying they did secure the border. You released a list today detailing 64 actions the president took that opened the border and, you know, created these historic levels of legal immigration. And now, uh, Speaker, we've got more Texas counties. We've got about 50 counties declaring they are in a state of an invasion based on the U.S. Constitution. That's like a fifth of all Texas counties. What do you make of this? It's an absolute catastrophe, a humanitarian catastrophe, a national security catastrophe. We saw it with our own eyes. In fact, we were having the press conference with all of our members, and people were crossing the river behind us, coming into the country illegally like an open, uh, an open border, and that's what it is. The Biden administration did this intentionally. These are policy choices that got us there. And our list of the 64 uh, events that, that he's engaged in from the first day that he took the Oval Office by executive orders is what has led us into this situation. It is is not sustainable. We've had over 7.1 million encounters at the border since he took office, and we estimate the number of people actually in the country illegally is probably close to 14 or 15 million. That's what the experts say. This is a serious problem. Over 300 suspects on the terrorism watch list have been stopped at the border. Liz, we have no idea how many of them came through and evaded capture. We saw the cartels down there, they estimate. The, the drug cartels in Mexico are not really in, in the drug business so much anymore. It's human trafficking. They're making $32 million a week in, the, in that sector alone, uh, that, that sector of Texas where we were. That's $1.6 billion a year that the administration is allowing to go to transnational violent criminal organizations because we have opened the border. It must stop, and we need accountability right now.
You know, Speaker, we see the voter polls, right? We see Democrat, Democrat voters in Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, and elected officials, state officials, upset with the border crisis. It feels like we're at a hinge point, a turning point. You know, let's talk about crime, because that's when the people who say yes to open borders, that's when their arguments stop cold. The Texas counties we were just talking about, Crockett County in Texas, they declared an invasion. One of its county judges' family members were, was killed by an alleged human smuggler. So these are the, you know, the stories that we hear repeatedly about the crime. Now, listen, the U.S. is, Americans are for legal immigration. They're upset right. when they see crime coming across the border. It's total chaos. It's lawlessness. And by the way, as we toured the, the processing facility there, the Border Patrol agents conceded to us they're not even really patrolling that border in large sections because they're all needed there to process the people who the Biden administration is welcoming into the country. And by the way, Liz, about 60 to 70 percent of the people crossing into that Del Rio sector are single adult males between the ages of 18 and 40. We saw many of them were on two eyes. This is not families, uh, you know, fleeing persecution in their home countries. This is people taking Joe Biden's invitation to come in. And by the way, billions and billions of U.S. taxpayer dollars being spent on the housing, the education, the health care, and all the other services being provided to these people. Mayorkas admitted himself uh, in a closed meeting just a couple of days ago, 85% of the people who come across are just released into the country. I mean, they're doing this intentionally. We have to get accountability. But he said it was 75. Are... He said it was 75%, then he raised it to 85 well, that's right. He said that in a private meeting and it leaked. Listen, when you talk to the people down there, you reference the sheriffs and, and the people who are in charge of, of trying to get control of this chaos. They're completely overwhelmed. They, they were telling us harrowing stories of what's happening and every American should see it with their own two eyes. Speaker Johnson, you did well on your debut appearance on the Evening Edit. We appreciate you. Don't be a stranger. Obviously, you heard for yourself. Mike's a, he's a regular guy. He's not a pontificator. He's not one of the uh, members of the House or the Senate or the administration that like to get up and be grandiose at what they say. He just talks to people and people really like that. He's got a lot of problems that are not made. He didn't have anything, maybe a little bit, but not much to do with them. And the American people started screaming and hollering. We want action. But again, just like I said before you heard from him there, it is a slow process, unfortunately. And then when you get in that position, there are so many pieces of pending legislation. And that's all in addition to trying to undo all this Biden crap that we are living through today. And it's hard to have time, and it certainly is hard because you don't have a big majority in the House, one or two votes now. So that means every every Republican's got to agree on any piece of legislation they, they vote on to get anything passed. Think about that as a possibility. And whose fault is that? Well, it's a voter's fault. We're the ones that pick who those members are going to be. That, if it changes, has got to be changed by you and me. In the 2024 election, I think I hear this every election coming up, every election. Oh, this is the most important election of my lifetime. We've got to get this right or we're doomed. This may be the time where if we don't get this right in November, we could well be doomed. 
I'm not a prophet, but I'm a guy that looks and is very objective about stuff in politics. Not a Democrat, not a Republican. I'm a conservative, very squeaky conservative, independent. And I feel strongly the Democrat Party, if they ever get enough power, and they're very close to having it now, will never have anybody, House, White House, or Senate, that has a majority of conservatives in control. And I don't need to tell you what that's going to look like to people like you and me. I just got a note just a second ago. This kind of shocked me. Hunter Biden showed up at Congress this morning to testify. (laughs) Today was the day his contempt uh, action was going to be taken up, and they were going to make it very ugly because he was supposed to testify. Remember that day several weeks ago? He, uh, he, he drove to the, uh, to the Congress, to the Capitol, and he didn't go inside. He got a microphone and made a big speech outside telling everybody, we're going to do this on my terms and we're not going to do it. And, of course, then they went after him, and uh, they were fixing to drop the hammer. There'll be more to this coming up. And something else that I want you to hear before we forget about it, there's so many things coming up. AOC, where's she been? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, the president of the squad, (laughs) those dissident hard leftists that are pretty much running the Senate and the House of Representatives, Democrats over there. She gave us yesterday some wisdom, really good wisdom, about what we can do to solve our southern border crisis right after this break. You're going to listen and hear AOC tell us how to do it right. 35 years after the original movie, Fox is bringing you back to where it all began. Nobody puts baby in the corner. This is the real Dirty Dancing. Eight celebrities compete to become the real baby and Johnny. Working my Johnny is. Some will rise. Some will fall. All will have the time of their life. The Real Dirty Dancing four-week event starts Tuesday at 9 on Fox 5. Little Caesars Thin Crust Pizza is so loaded with cheese and pepperoni you can't even see the crust. And if you ever want to see it again, listen very carefully. Bring $6.49 in unmarked bills or marked bills or coins or just a credit or debit card to Little Caesars. Come alone and bring your friends or family. Bring everyone. Get a Little Caesars Large Thin Crust Pizza with extra cheese and the most pepperoni, all at the nation's best price of just $6.49. Pizza, pizza. Top four national pizza chains. Extra most bestest thin crust pepperoni pizza versus large round one topping thin crust pepperoni pizza. Everyday standard menu prices at participating locations plus tax. ABC Tonight, it's all about big cash. Here we go! And big crash. <laughs> On the new season of Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, one star will spin it. Give me some money! To win it all. A big winner of $1 million. Then, host Leslie Jones is off to the races on Supermarket Sweep. On your carts! Get set! And we're going to need a cleanup on every aisle. You are on fire! <laughs> it all starts tonight, 8, 7 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. The following is an important time-insensitive announcement from Staples. Now, for an unlimited time only, Staples is drastically cutting their everyday prices on hundreds of products your business needs. That's right. The clock is not ticking. What? 
crawl, or lullagag to Staples, and you will not miss this opportunity. These are everyday price cuts. Take a four-pack of AA Duracell batteries, was $4.79, now just $2.99. But act now, or later, because these Staples everyday price cuts will be around for a really, really long time. Price cuts, like a two-pack of Scotch Magic Tape, previously $4.79, now just $2.99. And Scotch Packaging Tape, now just $2.29 for today, tomorrow, and pretty much every day till the cows come home. But don't hurry. These everyday price cuts are indefinite. To repeat, these prices will last. So stop by your nearest Staples whenever it's convenient and take advantage of these normal, continuing, everyday price cuts. Thank you. Need more cowbell? Better yet, how about the ring of truth? TNN, the Truth News Network, and Dan Newman. Well, I hope you're at the midpoint of your week and uh, you're doing okay after you had those extra days off during the holidays. Christmas, New Year's holidays, always too many of the days in that process for me. I like to get back at it. I like to be doing productive things rather than trying to find things to do to kill a little bit of time during long vacations. Anyway, before we get into AOC's little debacle that she's thrown out there, guess what came out yesterday? The Biden administration is investigating a university, one of our universities. Why? For statements expressing support for Israelis after the Hamas attacks. Now keep in mind, this is our government, U.S. government, Biden administration, and the school they're investigating is San Diego State, and they're investigating, looking for statements coming from the university that express support for the Israelis after the Hamas attacks. What did the school do? They put out a statement in support of its Israeli students following the barbaric terrorism genocide that Hamas did wee hours of the morning on October 7th, Saturday, attacking and killing 1,200 Israelis. San Diego State issued a statement on the 9th of October providing a list of resources for students who were distraught and acknowledged that that attack on the 7th came during Shemini Adzerat and Simchat Torah, a Jewish holy day. The complaint against the school said the statement, quote, promoted hatred and racism against Arabs and Muslims. That's from Corey Marshall, Senior Director of Media Relations for the University. The OCR opened the investigation into San Diego State on Tuesday. That's according to a list of schools under Title VI shared ancestry investigations. I never heard of that. Title VI shared ancestry investigations. The ED does not comment further on pending investigations. That's always their cop-out. We can't discuss ongoing investigations. What is being reported, it's heartbreaking. We've heard from San Diego State community members who have family, close friends, colleagues in the region. This is coming from the president of San Diego State, Adela De La Torre. Many have spent several terrifying days praying for their safety. Some have not had those prayers answered. We cannot express to you the depths of emotion and anguish we have felt 
an encounter since Saturday. Well, the Students for Justice in Palestine, a chapter there at San Diego State, released a statement on the 13th condemning what the president released. Students for Justice in Palestine, along with students and faculty, are deeply hurt and disappointed by the statement released by San Diego State University's president. San Diego State University has failed to acknowledge the emotions and the well-being of its Palestinian and Muslim students. The Education Department, OCR, opened several investigations into other schools and universities following the terrorist attacks on October 2nd. And they're investigating these universities for their alleged anti-Semitism and or Islamophobia. That's according to a public list of schools under investigation by the Education Department. Columbia University, the University of Pennsylvania, Cooper Union, are among the schools being investigated by the Biden administration. Harvard, Columbia, University of Penn, they created anti-Semitism task force following a rise of anti-Semitism on their campuses. Pro-Palestinian students across the U.S. used several symbols associated with violence against Israelis in protest after the attacks. Since October 7th, San Diego State has been actively in communication with our many San Diego and campus partners Given the significance of the community impact of this ongoing war, we have continually affirmed that any instances of harassment, discrimination, or acts of violence targeting individuals or groups based on their background within our San Diego State community will not be tolerated. And of course, the aftermath of all of this, they kept it really, really quiet. Really, really quiet. Because what happened is the Jewish people very quietly around the United States have armed themselves. And they're about to launch a whole bunch of uh, public outcry. I'm talking about protest that may turn into violence all across the nation. Of course, what I just said is not true. But what's the most important thing, the worst enemy that our Justice Department FBI are telling us over and over and over again. This is the number one threat against the United States. What is it? White supremacy. Number one. Number one, not the flood of millions of people that are perpetrating crimes in the hundreds of thousands against Americans when this administration not only opens the door for them to come in, we write a check for them to live on while they're here. 400,000 of those in two years committed against private citizens in Texas. But that's no big deal. Oh, man, I've gone to a 1,000 of those white supremacist get-togethers, the parades that they do and Of course, they burn a bunch of crosses in the middle of town all over the United States. I don't think I've ever seen a white supremacist, at least not an avowed one, and I've certainly never seen them have a big riot kind of get-together, ever. On one day, Hamas 
slaughtered 1,200 innocent men and women. Okay, I just had to throw that in. Let's go back to that brain surgeon from uh, Northwest Manhattan. She is the most intelligence-endowed member of the House of Representatives, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. And if you don't believe that, just ask her. She'll tell you. So, this will blow your mind. But the former bartender, now member of the House of Representatives, AOC, she's come up with a plan to take care of our illegal immigration process. And it's really good. But you got to listen closely. Here's AOC. From all parts of the political spectrum, one of the biggest issues that we have when it comes to immigration is the fact that we have an undocumented population. Mm -hmm. Now, you can fix that by trying to build a wall, or you can fix that by trying to document people and create a path to citizenship. Mm -hmm. And um, we'll have folks that might say, look at these systems, you know, that our shelter system has weight and things like that. But one of the reasons that our public systems experience weight is because people don't have a documented and reliable path to work and sustain themselves, mm -hmm. just like all of our ancestors did and our, and our grandparents. Our ancestors and our grandparents came here legally. I am guessing if you watch this for the most part, your ancestors came here legally. My great grandparents on both sides. What was it for your family? If you don't know, think about it. Do a little research. Ask your parents. Ask your grandparents. Look at a family tree. Uh, the idea that, oh, they're undocumented, so the solution is just document them. Oh, there's 12 million of them here. We don't know how many are pouring through the border. Just document them, send them in, give them some dots, and that'll solve the problem. That doesn't solve any of the problems. That probably makes the problem worse in, in some extent to, to, to just say, oh, yes, as many people as you want, come here. As long as we document you, you're good to go. Uh, but there was something oddly refreshing about that clip where she flat out says it, what their plan is. It's not about a wall, it's not about a border, it's just about bringing in as many of these people as possible. And again, you only you need only go to the video we showed you right before that to, to go, like, is it racist to be like, who are these people? What are their intentions? Where are all the chicks? Where are all the kids? Where's, where's the old woman? I mean, picture, of, picture Ellis Island, 1937, the old woman, right? The 80-year-old woman with the, with the bag, holding like a, you know, one apple or something, trying to get in with the schmata on her head, trying to get into this country. Compare it to that. You think there's a problem? Now, what you heard AOC say there, she really believes that. And what's really threatening to me is the people that follow her, not just from her congressional district in Manhattan, but around the world especially in the United States. Young people follow her. You heard them holler when she said, hey, let's just make them legal. Wave the wand over them and say, okay, go to this office and get your documents. You're not going to be held accountable for breaking the law. How long do you think this nation would last? I mean, they're doing their best to tear it apart at the seams right now. They are. And there are no plans behind it. They just want, hey, 
Fly by the seat of your pants. Do anything you want. Go anywhere you want. Work anywhere you want if you want to work. And if you don't want to work, don't worry about it. Democrats will pay your bills. That's what this administration is all about. Well, it's not all that there is going on. Donald Trump's in court. (laughs) I know that's a shock to you. Well, this one right now that's going on, and by the way, we got some news coming out of Atlanta. You're going to like this. We'll get to that in just a second. It broke overnight, and it's shocking. And it ain't bad for the former president. But anyway, let's talk about this thing that's happening um, in Washington, D.C., a tribunal of three federal judges, the Supreme Court. When Donald Trump reached out for asking for an emergency hearing, from the U.S. Supreme Court on if a president, if it's a president, he cannot be held, he or she, it's just he up to this point, but if we have a female president, which I'm sure we will in some future uh, administration, but he is exempt from being challenged in the way that Donald Trump is being challenged because there's no way any person in that job as president could run, could work. There's got to be some exemptions there. And that's not the first time this has been discussed. I actually remember vividly former President Barack Obama was adamant about it. We've got to create legislation or clear up constitutional legislation that is vague about that because you'll have people that won't ever want to run for president if you can just start filing suits against them and hold them accountable. They're not going to be able to get any work done. So this tribunal met with Anita Alina. That's I think that's her name. Alina Habba, Habba, Habba is uh, Donald Trump's lead attorney. And the president, Donald Trump, was in the courtroom yesterday. Habba came out late yesterday evening and explained what this tribunal, what they came up with. So tell me a little bit about this, the immunity argument that was made in the court today. We saw the president come out. We heard from him that he believes that he has complete immunity. And yet some of the questions that we heard from the three panel, uh, the three attorney, the three judge panel, I should say, were surrounding whether or not that is an absolute situation, because they they brought up a number of different instances and asked, would that provide immunity for a president? In other words, if it has to do with an election and arguing an election, does that fall under the immunity that uh, we've seen prior presidents get for national security actions that they have taken? And the word that we've gotten from uh, attorneys watching this is that they are not sure this D.C. court is going to go along with the argument that in this situation, the former president is immune. What was your takeaway from what you heard in there today? I've argued presidential immunity, Martha, ad nauseum, uh, because I represent the most targeted former president in American history. I can tell you right now, absolute immunity, or what we call presidential immunity, is an immunity that exists to not only protect presidents, but protect Americans. And that was the arguments that we heard today. If you all of a sudden change an immunity that has been in place forever, that has been in place for very good reason, then how are presidents to protect the country? 
country? How are presidents to speak to the press and address the nation when they're afraid, afraid of defamation in civil claims, when they're afraid of criminal charges for having military take action against our enemies? It is hypothetical after hypothetical of extreme situations that are not the current situation. That's what I heard today. And I think our council did a great job of presenting what has already been established law. Presidents have to perform in their duties with absolute immunity from claims, because while they are sitting in president, Martha, it is not just, and I want to explain this in plain English, I always try and do that for non-lawyers, it is not just acts within his employment as the sole member of the executive branch. It is also for acts in the outer perimeter. It is for things, decisions he has to have discretion to make. If you have no discretion, then why are you elected as the president of the United States? That is the bottom line. The president was the president. He should be afforded immunity. And frankly, if the D.C. Uh, court does not make that decision, that would be mind boggling to me, to be honest. So how long? Tell me about the time frame, because obviously all of this is layered in an election year. Um, this will likely go to the Supreme Court and their decision is likely to have bearing on a number of these cases. So what do you expect in terms of timing and do you think it's going to be delayed and for how long? Well, let's not be twisted on why we have a timing issue. There really isn't a timing issue. The only issue is the one that the Democrats have created because they're concerned about losing in 2024. So they've created this epic proportion of rush. It's a consistent rush. It's putting pressure on the Supreme Court. It's putting pressure on these circuit courts to rush to decisions because they create a sense of urgency that frankly does not exist but for the fact that they are losing in the polls. So we are looking at this hectic rush. However, if if you look at the decision with Jack Smith in the Supreme Court recently, they are calling them out on it. The rush to ruin an election is not, frankly, a rush at all. It is an urgent election interference claim that they've all colluded to do, in my opinion, and I've seen it time and time again. Presidential immunity is a slam dunk argument. If this case is not decided the way I think, frankly, the law states it should be, then yes, it will go to the Supreme Court. They will probably have to rush a decision because I'm sure prosecutors that we've seen that are Soros backed will rush it. Um, it's unfair, frankly, to the Supreme Court that they're being put in this position, but the law is very clear and I think it's an easy decision to make. All right. Talk to me a little bit about the situation in Georgia and the revelations that surround uh, the appointment of a prosecutor, a close relationship between the two. We heard the former president talk about this a bit today. He thinks that this essentially makes the Georgia case uh, one that has to fall apart based on this. Explain your take. My take is very much the sentiments of the president. I will say that these are obviously allegations that, if proven true, are extremely troubling and do create an ethical problem for Fannie, for, frankly, the entire pol uh, the entire office. If a prosecutor's office is tainted by political animus, which we already know it has, and then they're tainted by taking taxpayer dollars and going on vacations, if those allegations are true and she's hiring people that she is sleeping with and putting them in positions to attack a political enemy, I can't even begin to start on where ethically that is problematic, let alone let's go to the case, which we know has no merits, but was obviously motivated by a group of people that have ill intent. So we've already known that if these allegations, though, against Fannie are in fact proven, she's going to have a problem on her hands ethically, personally and frankly, for this case.
Yeah, that's going to be very interesting uh, to see how that develops. You, Ray, I just want to ask you one more question about Jack Smith, because the president earlier today said that he that there were real concerns about uh, the viability of his bringing this case in the first place and whether or not he is a constitutionally appointed special counsel with um, valid precedent. Explain explain that. Sure. Uh, special prosecutors, just so you understand, are supposed to be independent counsel. They are not supposed to be independent counsel that is brought on solely to go under uh, against a political campaign or a po political opponent, the leading opponent. A lot of uh, constitutional issues here exist. Uh, ethical issues, again, exist. As we've seen, all of these people, have, they report to A.G. Garland, right? But they also automatically report to Biden. So let's not forget that. The real person that holds the strings to all these puppets is the current president of the United States. And we keep talking about Soros backing, but let's not forget about Democrat backing. Let's not forget about Washington backing. We are not supposed to have that. They're supposed to be independent. They are not supposed to be individual private sector individuals like we've seen with Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden, the same thing. They brought somebody who has uh, ties to Hunter, ties to the Biden family. That is not special counsel. That is not independent counsel. The definition itself is not that. So we're, we're going to see challenges, I'm sure, to that. I think this is really making America sad. I think it's making the American public concerned for their safety, for the integrity of the justice system. And I hope for the sake of our children that we can correct it. And I don't think we can with this administration. Yeah, uh, we see the challenges to putting the former president on the ballot in a number of places around the country. So far, the candidates that we have spoken to say that they want to run against the former president without these impediments in the way and let the American people decide. So we'll see where that goes. Alina Haba, thank you very much. Always good to see you. You know what I predict is going to happen in all of this? It's going to come down to probably 1st of May, maybe is maybe even June, but it's not going to be a long, long time. What's going to have to happen? I don't see any way around it. The Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court, is going to have to do what they did. Remember back with the hanging chads in the presidential election, hanging chads on those manual ballots in Florida? It went all the way to the Supreme Court. and the I mean, there were weeks after the election for president, and it was Bush, Bush W., and everybody was waiting to see who was going to win, and finally the Supreme Court said, you know what, we've had enough of this. We're going to let it stand right as it is here. We're in the same kind of timing thing now with this election looming coming up in November, and the cases are out the wazoo with more and more of them still being filed around the nation. It's not about governing. It's about stopping Donald Trump from even being a possible choice for Americans to be the next president of the United States. Where, oh, where in the world have you ever seen anything in the United States in any of the Constitution, any ancillary laws through these generations, have you seen anything that makes it okay to just pile on whoever's in the White House and stop them from even being able to do the stuff that they were elected to be as president? This can't survive. 
it just can't survive. Wow. I told you Hunter Biden shocked everybody just a little bit ago, and he showed up at that House oversight hearing in which they were contemplating that uh, contempt citation against him. He appeared with his turn with his attorneys just a little bit ago to consider the resolution that if it's passed would set up a full house vote on whether to hold him in contempt of Congress because he defied a subpoena as part of the House impeachment inquiry. The oversight committee met for a markup is what it's called first thing this morning 10 a.m. DC time to consider the resolution that recommends contempt proceedings against him because he refused to comply with a subpoena that compelled him to appear for a closed-door deposition before the House Oversight and Judiciary Committees. The House Judiciary Committee is holding a similar markup right now on the measure recommending Hunter to be held in contempt. Hunter and his attorney, Abby Lowell, and Kevin Morris, they came to Capitol Hill to sit in the audience as lawmakers on the panel consider whether to pass the resolution out of committee. If it advances out of the committee today, sources say a full contempt of Congress vote on the House floor could take place in just a few days. Our investigation has produced significant evidence suggesting President Biden knew of, participated in, and benefited from his family cashing in on the Biden name. That's Oversight Committee Chair James Comer speaking. That was in his opening statement. We planned to question Hunter about this record of evidence during our deposition, but he blatantly defied two lawful subpoenas. Comer said Hunter willfully refused to comply with the committee's subpoenas, and that's a criminal act that constitutes contempt of Congress and warrants referral to the appropriate United States Attorney's Office for prosecution as prescribed by law. We will not provide Hunter Biden with special treatment because of his last name, Comer said. All Americans must be treated equally under the law, and that includes the Biden. We're keeping our eye on that. It's just, it's just really, it's getting hot and heavy. I told you at the top of the show <laughs> that you had better get set because we got a lot of stuff going on, don't we? I mean, we really do. Well, there's something else I want to bring to your attention. I, I warned you, when Joe Biden, this year especially, the, not 2024, but the, the year we just finished last week, during that entire year, it was like, he just decided, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just do everything I want to do. I'm going to spend whatever money I want to spend. I want to give people this and give people that. I want to let them out of this and let them out of that. Screw the rule of law. I'm Joe Biden. And as president, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. And then, in the middle of all of that, we see what happened when Hamas said, okay, we're all in. We're going to go ahead and start slaughtering Jews. Beginning on October 7th, they did just that. I told you, some of these other terrorist operations around the globe are watching, and they are hearing and seeing what Joe Biden is saying, that most of the time means nothing to the substance of the government 
of the United States of America. It's because he's an empty suit and he says whatever comes to his mind at any moment whatsoever. These other world and terrorist organization leaders are watching and listening to everything that's happening over here. You remember I I kept telling you about Basra Assad. Basra Assad. It was a very infamous situation in the lives of former President Obama and Joe Biden. This is when Obama was president, Joe Biden was vice president, and Basra Assad in Syria, he just decided, I'm going to start killing my people. And he used gas, and he killed more than 100,000 people in two or three incidents. And Barack Obama had a press conference. And he said, so everybody in the world could hear, I'm telling Basra Assad of Syria, he better not gas his people again. I'm drawing a line in the sand, he said. That's the infamous phrase that really got him looked at in a different light. Everybody thought he he really must have a backbone. However, Basra Assad didn't believe so. So what did he do? He gassed some more Syrians, killed them. What did Obama do? Nothing. So here we are again, a few years later. The vice president then is now the president, and there's stuff going on over there in the Middle East. And so what happens? Basra Assad He said, I'm going to find out what this president is going to do. Is he going to fold like a cheap suit like his boss did back then? Syrian regime forces, their Russian allies and militias who were loyal to them, led more than 160 attacks against civilians in December alone. That's according to the White Helmets, a volunteer rescue organization. The White Helmets, also known as Syria Civil Defense, said since the beginning of 2023, they have responded, the White Helmets, have responded to 1,300 attacks in northwestern Syria, a 59% increase compared to 2022. Most of those attacks were caused by warplanes, rocket launchers, and artillery strikes. On Christmas Day, Russian warplanes killed a family of fire of five near the town of Armanaz, and Syrian regime forces targeted a school in another town, killing one and injuring five. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights, a UK-based war monitoring group, said in 2023, 187 civilians, including 50 children, 28 men, women, were killed in bombardment and gunfire by regime forces, and 30 civilians, including eight children and seven women, were killed in Russian airstrikes. The Syrian Observatory for Human Rights reported the deaths of 2,000 civilians across Syria with a breakdown of how they died in a December 31st report. So what's going on? They're testing the water. What do you mean, Dan? They're waiting for another one of Barack Obama's now would be Joe Biden lying in the sand. 
Russia is tag team with Syria. That's scary enough on its face. But if you pull out your map and look at the approximation of where Syria is in relation to Russia, Israel, all those little Middle East countries and who's running all those countries, they're all watching. They're all watching our president to see what he'll do, which, to be honest with you so far, is nothing. And they're getting emboldened. I think in 2024, domestically, I've predicted this on this show, I don't see any real way that in the upcoming months, we don't see on our soil a bloody terrorist organization debacle that happens. There are too many people that we know are terrorists from other countries that are here in our midst. We found out, you know, we, we, we told you starting several months ago, all of a sudden, Chinese people were showing up at the southern border to come in. And yesterday we're told a huge portion of them are being sent from Red China's military over here. Now, why would these and why would all of these other men from different countries in Central America, South America, countries all around the world, Pakistan, why are they coming here? They're not bringing families. They're not bringing children. China, very quietly but very demonstrably, they have started sending their criminals from their prisons to different countries in Africa. And when I say sending their people, their criminals, I'm talking about tens of thousands. And they give these guys a choice. You either stay in prison for life or you move to Africa and you're going to marry an African woman and have children. And if you don't want to do that, oh, by the way, you're never allowed to come back if you go. You're going to be there forever. Why are they doing that? They're seeding country after country around the world. They're seeding their ideology. Who would I be talking about? Whatever terrorist organization is represented there. Hamas, Hezbollah, activist Muslims, terrorist Muslims, They each have huge training camps, terrorist training camps. Hezbollah's got the biggest one in the world for them. In less than 150 miles from our southern border. Hamas's is a little deeper. Why would they be putting in training camps for terrorists just outside our reach? Not trying to scare you but trying to make sure you understand what happens here in our leadership and our government. Oh, and what doesn't happen here by our leadership and government. They're watching. They want nothing more. Anything else, they don't want nearly as much as they want to attack the United States, cripple us, and get rid of of the things that you and I are Americans for and want to sustain America for, which is freedom, 
justice, liberty for all, the rule of law, the right to do what we want to do within the law without government infringement, to be able to execute all of those 10 First Amendments, which guarantee all those rights in each one of those amendments to the people. In other words, telling the people, reconfirming your government in this document, we confirm these are the specific things that are owned forever by the people, and the government can't take it away from you in any way. They want to take away all of that. That way, they get a chance to tap all of the wonderful assets and infrastructure that our forefathers, right on down the line to our moms and dads and grandparents have done, and we've worked hard to sustain it and even make it better. They want to wipe it out. In other words, what are they? Well, might be kind of leaning towards authoritarianism, but in the case of China, I mean, it's totalitarianism, communism, all the way. And they look at us as a piggy bank. And that's what's happening, folks. We need to remember that. Watch what Bashar Assad does with the help of Vladimir Putin over there because he's flexing his muscles now. Why would he be doing it? Unless he's got something very sinister, very well planned, always is. Keep your eyes open. Real truth, real news. TNN, the Truth News Network. A wild-caught filio fish and a sizzly double cheeseburger. Well, they are two classics that never go out of style. Hold on. Wait. You're assembling a serve plus turf McDonald's hack, which must make you a menu hacker. Yes, the serve plus turf available only on the McDonald's app. You get free medium fries and a drink. Oh, someone opened the app. I need to order and build one immediately. The advanced surgeons at the Center for Innovative GYN Care look beyond quick fixes like birth control to help their patients find the best treatment options for complex GYN conditions. My name is Sakina, and I had the CIGC groundbreaking minimally invasive hysterectomy. I got back to my life in a week with only two small incisions and minimal scarring. Discover the CIGC difference with offices in Midtown Manhattan and Montclair, New Jersey. Telemedicine appointments are also available. Book a consultation at InnovativeGYN.com or call 888-SURGERY. New Dunkin' Refreshers. Vibrant fruit flavors like strawberry, dragon fruit, and peach passion fruit. B vitamins and energy from green tea. All under 200 calories. Order ahead via the Dunkin' app for contactless way to order, pay, and pick up in the drive-thru. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. See the bold new expression of sporty style. Hear the amazing quietness of a truly luxurious cabin. Feel the exceptional horsepower and amazing torque and experience greater acceleration than ever before. Behold, the most powerful sedan in its class. The new Toyota Camry. Real power, absolute performance. Discover the new Camry at toyota.com.my. on up there in these committee hearings regarding Hunter Biden. Guess what just happened? Hunter rushed out of the House Oversight Committee's markup hearing a little while ago 
while lawmakers were weighing whether to hold him in contempt of Congress. The first son made a surprise appearance. He wasn't even expected to come. At the start of the hearing, he just showed up. His presence in the hearing room immediately sparked tensions between Republican and Democrat lawmakers. Abby Lowell, that's a very famous criminal attorney. He's Hunter's defense counsel. Abby gave a brief statement to the press after he and his client left the hearing, and they left in a hussy. He dashed out of the hearing room as Republican Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. You're going to love this. She was starting her round of questioning, and I'm going to quote the Congresswoman. I think it's clear and obvious for everyone watching this hearing today that Hunter Biden is terrified of strong conservative Republican women because he can't even face my words as I was about to speak to him. What a coward. <laughs> One of the report. in fact, let me just, I'm going to go ahead and say this. One of the reasons why uh, he fled the room as she was beginning to talk because she had just told him, and I'm going to quote him, Quote her, excuse me. You have no balls. (laughs) Well, I don't know. Anyway, one of the reporters surrounding Hunter appeared to ask him about the kind of crack he prefers to smoke. Fox News reporter Hillary Vaughn pressed Hunter, and he responded by calling her dangerous instead of answering her questions. Why did you put your dad on speakerphone with your business partners if he had no involvement with your business? Do you have a dad? (laughs) Does he call you? Do you answer the phone? Hunter Biden responded. So why did you need to talk to him during business meetings if he had nothing to do with your business? You're dangerous, Hunter said. You're dangerous. Hunter's fixer, you know, the Hollywood attorney Kevin Morris that gave him all the money to pay those taxes, Kevin was also present in the audience with Lowell and Biden at the Oversight Committee hearing. By the way, the House Judiciary Committee is holding a contempt of Congress markup hearing this morning at this same time. Hunter defied a congressional subpoena December 13th when he chose to deliver a press conference on Capitol Hill on the steps outside instead of sitting in for a closed-door deposition. His arraignment, Hunter's arraignment, it's kind of like he's got the same schedule as former President Trump. They got to fly all over the place to answer to charges made against him. Hunter's going to be arraigned out in California, and that's supposed to happen on the 11th, which is tomorrow. He's facing nine federal tax charges, including three felonies related to his alleged failure to pay over a million dollars worth of taxes over a four-year period. He is simultaneously staring down three federal gun charges up in Delaware, to which he pleaded not guilty in October. I just can't get over Marjorie Taylor Greene in a committee here. I know she's a Southern girl, and sometimes them Southern girls, they just get mad. We don't call it in the South mad. We call it PO'd, and you can figure out what that means. Wow, I told you there was a lot of stuff we were going to have to get into today, and I didn't know we'd have a lot of um, a lot of time to get a bunch of this stuff done. Don't want to take our eyes off 
all of the other things around the nation that are happening that are very, very critical as well. Illegal immigrants up in New York stormed a Manhattan Bloomingdale's and they tried to grab about $5,300 in designer Versace Dior and Prada sunglasses. All of them got away but one. That's according to a New York Police Department release statement. About 15 asylum seekers swarmed the high-end Midtown retailer shortly before 6.30 p.m. on Saturday. Grabbed more than a dozen pairs of the pricey sunglasses before making a run for it. An alert cop on paid detail at the store was able to grab one of the crooks while the rest ran off. The one suspect who was detained is a guy named Stephen Matos, 23 years old. He's being charged with robbery, criminal possession of stolen property, possession of burglar tools, and resisting arrest in the incident. Police were able to recover one Christian Dior pair of sunglasses, 10 pairs of Versace sunglasses, and two pairs of Prada sunglasses. It's known what, if anything, the mob got away with as they fled the store. I was just thinking through this this whole crazy snatch-and-grab stuff that's going in over here in the United States. You know what the sole cause is. Oh, yeah, everybody will say, I'll, I'll never forget this. Remember when they tore up Chicago I mean, literally, the Miracle Mile in Chicago, one of my favorite places to go shop, all the high-end stores, I mean, all of them along the Miracle Mile. Late night, downtown there, it's closed up, but the lights are all on, and people like to walk down that particular part of Chicago when the weather's good. And there are hundreds of these snatch-and-grabbers that are breaking in these stores. I'll never forget I'm a, um, I'm a watch guy. I like watches, always have. I had a couple of Rolex watches when I was much younger, and one of them was the Rolex President, which is solid gold. Don't have it anymore. If I did, I, I wouldn't be wearing it today because snatching grabbers, they look for that stuff. But I saw on the television a live report showing that Rolex store, and this was from like in the middle of the street, camera shows people that have broken into the windows of the store and are grabbing stuff and coming out. One guy stepped up to come out of the window, and he had two boxes, one in his left hand, one in his right hand, and they were those famous blue, royal blue watch boxes. That means Rolex presidents. That means $22,000 base price for either one of them. Now, this was when, remember, everybody was just mad. Everybody was just mad. George Floyd got killed. Cop killed him. We're going to go crazy across the nation. And one young lady was talking to one of the uh, news people. There were multiple crews out there filming all this kind of stuff. And she got in front of one of the news people, and the news person was asking her questions. Why are you guys doing all of this? And the girl got all soft and, you know, very timid, and she said, hey, listen, we can't pay our bills. We can't buy food. We've got to find a way to be able to pay for living 
And so we're down here trying to get rent money and grocery money. That was the justification. Now, circle back. Circle back to what we just said to start this conversation. There's no accountability. No accountability for all this kind of stuff. If and only when law enforcement led by whoever's in the White House, yeah, the executive branch of the government is the branch of government that's supposed to enforce the laws, the federal laws of the United States and make sure the Department of Justice, the FBI, all of those agencies that are part of the executive branch are enforcing federal laws. And then at the state level, those agencies at the state level do the same thing. You know what would stop all of the snatch and grabs across this nation? If law enforcement, this may seem a little bit strong. If they would go to, let's say, Saudi Arabia, make an appointment, Saudi Arabia police force, and walk the streets with them and see what kind of illegality is taking place. You would not see a mob on the streets at night. You wouldn't see anybody breaking into any of these stores and stealing any of those designer sunglasses. Well, why wouldn't they be doing it? Are they filthy rich over there? Well, you know, there are very rich people because of oil in Saudi Arabia, but everybody's not wealthy. In fact, over there, there's a huge disparity between the ruling class and the working class. But they have laws over there, just like we have laws over here. But they do something a little bit different than we do in circumstances like that. If somebody is caught stealing, and I mean really gets caught stealing, and I'm not talking about stealing a car or something really big, stealing anything. You get arrested, and the first time you steal, they'll cut off one of your fingers. The second time, they'll cut off a hand. The third time, they'll cut off an arm. And the fourth time, and they're very seldom ever gotten to the fourth kind, they cut off your head. So people adhere to the rule of law. Let me give you a personal example. You remember last year, I went for 10 days to Zimbabwe in Africa. I did the show live while I was over there. I flew from Dallas-Fort Worth directly to Doha, Qatar. That, my friends, is a long trip. And then I got off that plane and transferred over to another jet, and I flew six hours from there down to Zimbabwe's capital, Harare. On the flight back, when we're getting ready to get off the plane, it was the same leg, this time in reverse, Zimbabwe to Doha, Qatar. Got off that plane, changed terminals, got on another plane and flew nonstop to Dallas. When I got off the, it was late night when I got off the plane in Doha, and their, their airport is one of the biggest in the, in the world. It's really nice. It's all spread out, all kind of construction. So they have you going from uh, terminal to terminal 
Some of it you have to walk a little bit, and then they have these buses that you get on. I had my backpack on, and I had my iPad in the outside back, but it was inside. You couldn't see it from the outside. And I was walking that little segment, and it got kind of dark. A guy came up behind me and grabbed my iPad and took off running. There wasn't anything I could do. So what I did when I got to the terminal, I went to Lost and Found and filed a claim. And we got back and didn't hear from anybody, so I made some phone calls over there. And they found the guy. And I said, what's going to happen to him? And they said, well, we followed the law here in Qatar on theft. It's the same common law as is followed across nations in the Middle East. And I said, you're going to cut a hand or something off? And it was just dead silence. Guy didn't say anything. Nobody said anything. They don't have, in fact, people told me all over there when that came up and I had conversations with people that I was with when I was over there on the phone and they just chuckled. They said, look, that kid might, he might get killed. He might get executed over this. There's very little crime like that anywhere in the Middle East. What would it be like in Chicago if our lawmakers, state, local, federal, if we just enforced the laws and we just held people accountable for what the law says they're supposed to be held accountable if and when they break laws? We don't have a government that does that. And all of this lawlessness that we're seeing getting bigger, louder, stronger, and more rampant, it's not going to stop unless and until the lawmakers in this nation at every level, the leaders in the states, the local, and of course in Washington, D.C., begin to enforce the laws, every law, with everything that's in each law. If they would just do that, this mess would stop almost overnight. I mean that. It's happened numerous times in history in places around the world. It's like your kids. How many times when you had a baby, when he or she was growing up, and they were a couple of years old, they'd become cognizant of everything around, and they would reach over and grab something. And it could be something that could hurt them, and you say, no, don't do that. You reach over and grab it. And you're doing whatever you're doing, and all of a sudden you look over and the kid's got it again. You grab it from the kid, maybe slap them on the hand, they cry a little bit, and you tell them, you can't do that, that'll hurt you. And they come after it again. And this time you make a really big deal out of it and take it and don't let them take it back. Now that's a crude example to compare to what I'm talking about, but it's It's conditioning accountability is what it is. And when people know that whoever's in charge is going to enforce the rules and the laws every time, and you're going to pay a price, unless they want to pay the price, they're going to do what they're supposed to do. And we know who are the chief lawbreakers and allowing Laws to be broken over and over and over. Somebody can always make an excuse, but that doesn't matter. The law is the law. 
But these nut jobs over there in the Middle East are watching what's not happening as our bases and our military people stationed in Syria and Iraq have sustained 120 attacks and we've virtually done nothing. And that's why Basra Assad is back engaged because Joe, he's not going to do squat. I don't even know if he'll use the cross the red line thing that his boss tried to do that didn't stop Basra Assad because he knew back then Obama wasn't going to do anything and he knows now. This president, Joe Biden's not going to do anything either. This could turn really, really ugly, really, really quickly. Fox Wednesday, could this mysterious princess unlock riches? She's a bad singer. All hail, Princess Adrienne. All new I Can See Her Voice. Then, TV's number one new show's top ten face double elimination. No one is safe. This can't be good. All new I Can See Her Voice and all new Next Level Chef, Wednesday on Fox. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes for insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please forgive us for never washing our hands ever. Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity for the man who's in the process. In every age, a technology is created that upends the foundations of society, the wheel, the printing press, the internet. Now, in a world sliding into financial chaos, a new technology is changing the way monetary systems work around the world. It is called Bitcoin. Bitcoin is a new form of money, controlled not by banks, governments, or corporations, but through mutual commerce between free individuals. To learn more, visit WeUseCoins.com. When the lie becomes the norm, speaking the truth becomes a revolutionary act. Dan Newman, TNN, The Truth News Network. Have you wondered, think about this, have you wondered where in the heck former Vice President Mike Pence is, what he's doing? He hadn't been in the news very much. I've got a a story about Mike Pence, and I want to get to it. Fox Wednesday. Whoa, 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 you're not supposed to be there. How did that happen? Sorry about that. Anyway, got got a story about the latest with um, Mike Pence and what's going on there. But let's go back to the Hamas-Israeli war. Look, what are we in this? Two months? October 7th, November, December. We're approaching three months we've had people over there. In fact, some Americans still being held hostage. That's not supposed to happen. We are the United States of America, and there are far more other nations, people being held than ours, but we're the greatest planet, uh, greatest country on the planet, the United States of America, and we can't negotiate to get our Americans freed. 
under what circumstances in a deal like this do you think Donald Trump would take some action? And it's just like what we said before we went to break. Vladimir Putin, Basar Assad, all those other terrorist organizations and leaders over there, they're watching what Joe Biden is doing. And more importantly, what Joe Biden is not doing to stop the terrorist activities. Joni Ernst, U.S. Senator from Iowa, she about had enough, and she doesn't say a whole lot, but she really got down and dirty in her demands what our government needs to do. And she wasn't speaking to our government when she said these. She was talking to Hamas and Hezbollah when she said this. I just returned from a delegation trip overseas, and the delegation and I traveled to Egypt, to Israel, to Qatar, and to Bahrain. And my mission with this delegation was clear. It was to use full congressional leverage to bring our American hostages home. Currently, we have six Americans that are being held in Gaza by Hamas. And we must remember that Hamas killed over 30 American citizens during their October 7th terror attacks in Israel. So our message was very clear to these leaders that they must work with the United States and Israel to bring these hostages home. We were able to visit Kibbutz Niraz, which was a kibbutz that I had visited in 2014, and it was a stark contrast from the first time I visited. A tranquil community filled with peace activists now is a barren wasteland with burned out homes and the remnants of shards of glass, doors blown in by grenades and by RPGs. Folks, Americans were taken. They must come home, and every second matters. Well, it wasn't a loud speech. She doesn't talk that way, but it was very pointed, and it fits right into what we were just talking about accountability. Can you believe we still have three months later, they have not released a single American to us. How does that happen? I mean, there are great stories after stories, movies after movies, all about in times of war in our history where our government has gone crazy to hold anybody accountable for taking actions against any of our people, holding them hostage, killing them, whatever. Whatever it takes, we go do it. We used to. We're not doing it now. That's going to change, and they're doing it the way they're doing it, they being Hamas. That order's almost certainly from Iran, they're doing what they're doing purposely to not only see what our president and his people are going to do, but see what they can get away with because our leaders aren't going to hold anybody accountable. Again, once again, 
I'll tell you, this year, something big and negative is going to happen in the United States to United States people, and it's being planned. And when, oh, I don't know, years ago, not a long time ago, you had a CIA director that was a former member of Congress, the House of Representatives from Kansas, later became the Secretary of State under President President Donald Trump, talking about Mike Pompeo. If he was still at the CIA or even at Secretary of State, do you think they would have been doing nothing to get those American hostages home? They would have been home a long time ago. We are still getting information coming out of our crazy, insane method of withdrawing out of Afghanistan. I got popped in the head with a bit of news last night that I did not know. You remember that suicide bomber at the Abbey Gate when we were pulling out? Came up there wearing a suicide vest, activated it, and it killed 12 American people. We knew, we found out that the explosives that were sewn into that suicide vest came from Bagram Air Base outside of that city. Bagram Air Base is where we had our largest, most expansive, most sophisticated base in that part of the world. We had a store there of military weapons, billions of dollars of military weapons. We actually had a huge prison holding terrorist thugs that we had arrested. And it was just really, really big. You can track explosives to where the sources were, where that explosive was made. They did just that after that vest blew up and killed those 12 Americans. And that explosive came from Bagram Air Base. We all knew that. But you know what else we found out? The person that wore that vest was one of the terrorists that was in that jail inside of Bagram Air Base. And when we left Bagram Air Base, our military leaders opened the jail cells and let them out. That's the kind of leadership we have in this administration. And they still say they did nothing wrong. So, Mike Pence, let's move forward. We're, gosh, we've only got 15 minutes left in the show today. I told you it was going to be a busy day. Mike Pence, he has been known or suspected to be a long time a rhino. Rhino is a Republican in name only. That's kind of a small sliver of the middle of the Republican Party. There's no, hey, I'm a rhino badge that you wear. But when you talk the game, but you don't play the game. If you talk conservatism, but you don't, when you fill in the role that you're hired for, you don't do what you should be doing if you really were in the heart what you profess to be. He's now cemented his reputation as a rhino when he dismissed what more and more Americans are coming to realize. The FBI 
the Christopher Ray FBI played a huge part in instigating the January 6th riot at the U.S. Capitol back in 2021. Our own Steve Baker has given you here ironclad proof, evidence that he has been able to ferret out and provide to a lot of Republicans, a lot of real people in law enforcement, and there are so many things left to be revealed. I can tell you, it's not just the FBI played a role in instigating the January 6th riot. They're up to their eyeballs in it. Pence appeared on all places, CNN, State of the Union, and told host Jake Tapper everything he could have wanted to hear. Listen to what he said. This is Pence. I've seen the director of the FBI repeatedly assure the American people that the FBI were not the instigators of the riot that occurred on January 6th. He went on to praise the FBI's efforts to lock up conservatives who were at the Capitol that fateful day. Pence said this, frankly, I'm very grateful for the efforts of the FBI to bring nearly a thousand people to justice who ransacked our Capitol and did violence against police officers on that day. You're right, he told Tapper. We've been assured again and again that it was not the case. And I just must tell you, having been there that day to see people literally breaking windows, ransacking the Capitol, it just infuriated me. I remember thinking, not this, not here, not at the United States Capitol. It was a dramatic regurgitation of the Democrats' official narrative. But what he said ignored mounting evidence that the FBI was indeed likely behind the ransacking. Republican Louisiana Representative Clay Higgins, he's a great guy, former sheriff down in South Louisiana. He's now a member of the House of Representatives. He's a military veteran. Just a few days ago, he sat down with Tucker Carlson and claimed there were well over 200, 200 FBI assets present at the Capitol on January 6th. Through Steve Baker, that's been confirmed again and again and again. Higgins told Carlson this, I had reviewed compelling evidence that the FBI had assets, human assets dressed as Trump supporters inside the Capitol prior to the doors being opened and the masses allowed in, he told Tucker. Some of that evidence shockingly reveals that the FBI agents were operating undercover within the online groups across the country and were the first ones to plant the seeds of suggestions of a more radical occupation of the Capitol, Higgins said. They were sort of testing the waters of who amongst that group would begin acknowledging that you maybe we should do that. Maybe we should plan for an occupation like that. But if you look at the origin of those conversations, Higgins said, they were started by the FBI and undercover guys that were operating inside the group. On 20, on Twitter, X now, Many people were disgusted with Pence for giving the FBI a pass. Judas, part of the coup, one user wrote. You don't have to be a Trump supporter to know that Pence is a traitor. Pence is deep state and compromised. 
Others simply dismissed Pence's dismissal. Mike Pence is a liar, said one user on X, and CNN is a money-losing network that is a tiny little following of low-information voters. More and more, folks, factual information is now going to come out. The voter fraud, all of the stuff that everybody knew about, thought about it, but couldn't ever ever get any real evidential confirmation of the cheating that went alone in the elections. And then, oh my gosh, the Department of Justice started coming in and just grabbing everybody, suing everybody. And so everybody, every conservative news outlet, every conservative person on television and radio, they just quietly quit talking about it. You can't say that. You're tagged, labeled as an election denier. But now there are breakthrough revelations documentaries, really, really good ones. A couple of parts from several very credible agencies. Epic News, Steve Baker, Blaze Network, Daily Caller, they have started meticulously putting facts together to prove what really went on that day and who the perpetrators were. There is no question. The FBI today under Christopher Ray is bone-cold corrupt, and it has been. Other agencies just because we know the FBI is really deep in corruption, you can expect to have similar situations in other agencies. We shouldn't be surprised about that. Again, once again, what we talked about about on the Miracle Mile streets in Chicago, if you don't enforce laws, if you don't make sure that everybody has the same equal rights, the right to be considered in legal matters and any other matters as innocent of what you might be charged with unless and until you're proven that you did it. That's part of the fiber of the United States of America. That's what we're made of. And this government, under this administration, and I'm gonna, I'm just going to step back to and throw in the Obama administration where Joe and Barack were leading the fire, the charge. They were in it too at that time. And it was apparently that was just part one and part two. Their eight years was the early stages of rolling out this authoritarian big government operation that was controlled the United States of America. Donald Trump stepped in, and he messed up their parade. And then in Trump's four years, they did anything and everything they could to diminish him, and now look what they're trying to do. We don't want to let the American people 
pick who's going to serve as president. We don't ever want to do that again. We let it happen in 2016. Not going to happen anymore. We're taking over everything and everybody. That's where we live today, folks. You may not like it. You may not want to believe it, but facts are facts. And we've got to start getting prepared to respond because we're the ones that are going to pay the price. And it's not going to be a cheap cost. But we're the ones that are going to pay the price for what we have allowed. We very benignly stayed in the shadows, just doing our thing, loving life, doing the best that we can do while they're doing what they're doing. Not fun to end the show on a note like that, but facts are facts. we got to face them. Hey, guys, thanks for sharing here today. It's midweek. It's going to be a short week. You know, we had we had Monday quiet. The quiet weekdays <laughs> are about over. We got to put our hands to the plow. We got to straighten this mess up. We're going to do it. We're going to do it together. You guys have a wonderful day. Tomorrow, back at it. Hopefully have a surprise guest tomorrow. I'm not saying for sure. I'm waiting for a phone call. It'd be somebody you want to hear, want to listen to. If we get that put together, even if we don't, the show's at 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., Monday through Friday, that's Central Time. And we will see you tomorrow. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Open your eyes, look up to the skies and see I'm just a poor boy, I need no sympathy Cause I'm easy come, easy go, little high, little low Anyway the wind blows, doesn't really
Yes. 